Church is a beautiful thing. Look at this beautiful family, eh? Um, we are going to be reading from the scripture this morning, and our passage is uh, Matthew chapter 4, from verse 17 to 25. So I'm going to read this, uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at what God has to say to us this morning. So Matthew chapter 4, from verse 17, and um, let me read. So, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and left their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're the center of it all. Uh, we pray now as we look at your word that you'd be the center of it all. We pray, come Holy Spirit, let us enjoy your word. Let us be instructed by your word. Let us be touched by your word. Let us be changed by your word. Let us be challenged by your word. Let us be excited by your word. Let us be set on fire by your word. Let us be pushed out on mission by your word. Let us be comforted and healed by your word. Let us be shaped by your word. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. 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 So every group that you're part of has their jargon, has their words that they say, and you think you understand what they're talking about, and you start saying it as well because you want to fit in, but you haven't really got a clue. And one of the Christian jargons that gets used a lot all over the place is this word kingdom. So people talk about, uh, you know, oh, we're doing kingdom stuff. Or he's not a church preacher, he's a kingdom preacher. What? Um, you know, or, oh, we, we, you know, I've got a kingdom ministry or whatever. You know, people use it as an adjective a lot. Like, oh, we, we're not looking for different kinds of, we want kingdom culture. You know, what is that? So it, all over the place, you'll hear this word kingdom being used around, and we would probably all say it, and we'd all probably mean something slightly different, uh, but kind of in the ge same general direction. And so this term, we are going to take a term just to look at this idea of the kingdom of God. What does it mean? Uh, what did Jesus mean by it? Uh, what does that mean for us as a church? Part of our vision statement as Reading Family Church is to bring the kingdom of God to Reading and beyond. 
So it's a core part of who we are. But what does it mean to bring the kingdom of God to Reading? How, how do you do that? How do you, how do you bring it? And so we're, we're taking this term to look at the kingdom of God. Uh, and um, we're going to be doing it out of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew talks about the kingdom of God a lot. More specifically, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God a lot in the Gospel of Matthew. So, and there's lots of famous uh, verses in Matthew about the kingdom that you'd be familiar with. Things like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Or when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray, uh, your kingdom, let it come, your will, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. He always told parables, didn't he? The kingdom of God is like this or like this. And so in Matthew, Jesus talks about the kingdom a lot. And so we're going to be in Matthew this term, uh, uh, looking at different passages, different stories, and trying to understand this idea of the kingdom of God. Is that right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Great. Uh, so today, I'm glad, that's good. We're all on the same page. Uh, and so today we're looking at this passage that we've just read, Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus announces the kingdom of God is near you. Um, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And, and so we're going to look at uh, this story. What did Jesus mean when he said that? And, and see how we go. So Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. This is the beginning. Until now in Matthew, we've had the birth of Jesus... Uh, him be becoming a stateless person, a refugee down to Egypt and back. Uh, we've had his baptism. We've met John the Baptist. But now Jesus begins to preach. And um, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, one of the things you notice straight away is he says kingdom of heaven, uh, not kingdom of God. So the other gospels, uh, Mark and Luke, talk about kingdom of God all the time. Matthew talks about kingdom of heaven all the time. They tell the same stories, they just use a slightly different phrase. So, uh, why is that? Well, um, Matthew is writing particularly for a Jewish audience. So, Matthew's world, really, he's writing about Jesus to people from a Jewish background. You know, all the Gospels are written to slightly different people. Mark's written to Romans. Uh, yeah, so... Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, and Jews never really used the word God directly. They, they, they thought it was too holy a word to say. So they would talk about the name or the creator. Um, and so in the same way, Matthew, he, he wants to be sensitive to their culture. He doesn't want to offend them. And so he, rather than talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. But it, it's the same idea. And... Um, so what is it? What is Jesus announcing when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand? What is he declaring? What's he announcing, right? Well, it was anticipated in the Old Testament. So all the way through the Old Testament, you see the, the mess and the brokenness of the world. And then you, that you have the prophets saying all the time, but don't worry, because one day the king is going to come and he's going to fix everything. One day the king is going to come and he's going to put everything right. And it's important because what that idea recognizes is that, that there is brokenness and mess in the world that needs fixing. There's systemic, there's foundational, there's fundamental things wrong in the world. And we need a new king to come and bring a new kingdom and put those things right. 
And so, you know, there's, there's lots of ideas that the prophets used in the Old Testament. They said, the shepherd is going to come and he's going to gather up all the sheep. That's one picture of Jesus coming. But that can be a little bit individualistic. It doesn't, you know, you can gather up the sheep, but it doesn't fix the brokenness in the world. But saying a king is going to come and he's going to build a kingdom that's different, that's saying we understand that there's so much brokenness and mess in the world through sin and someone needs to come and do something different. And so it's been anticipated and expected all the way through the Old Testament. And then Jesus here is announcing it. So he's saying, you've been waiting for the king to come. You've been waiting for the kingdom of heaven, the king from heaven. Here I am. The kingdom is at hand because the king has come. The kingdom has come in the person of Jesus, who's the king. So he's able to say, the kingdom of God is near you because he's near them. Because the king's come and he's bringing with him his kingdom. And then throughout his ministry, uh, Jesus refers to it, explains it, um, tells lots of parables. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. Um, and so all the way through Matthew, he's building on this idea, trying to help us understand what is this thing that has come with Jesus. And one day, future, Jesus will come back. The king will come back. He will return at the end of all things to gather everything up and make everything new. And then the kingdom will be fully come. Then there will be no more shadows, no more rivals, no more pockets of resistance standing against him in the corner. Then the kingdom will become fully. And so we've got the kingdom has come with Jesus. The kingdom is coming. And the kingdom one day will fully come. And they're all true. And that's one of the things that we're going to explore uh, this term is when we say the kingdom of God, we're talking about now and not yet. So the kingdom has come, past tense, with Jesus, um, but the kingdom will one day fully come with Jesus. So it's now and not yet. It's inaugurated, but it's not consummated, if you like words with more than three syllables, right? Now and not yet, a little bit shorter words, same idea. And so, uh, just a few um, kind of quotes from uh, some of our fathers in the faith around uh, this idea. John Wimber, and John Wimber, out of California in the 80s and 90s, founded the Vineyard Movement of Churches. Uh, a lot of our idea of the kingdom of God being a dynamic, powerful thing that comes, comes from, from his ministry and life. John Wimber said, the word kingdom used here in the Greek means reign, not realm, and refers to actual dynamic power effective in ministry. Thus, the kingdom invades the old age through the person and ministry of Jesus, and that ministry consists of both proclamation of the gospel, Got proclamation of the kingdom with its accompanying call to follow Jesus and the effective demonstration of the power and reality of the kingdom. So what Wimber's saying, first thing for us, is we're talking about reign, not realm. So if a reign is active. The king is doing stuff. The king is changing stuff. The king is building stuff and getting stuff done. A realm is a bit more static. You know, when you come into the UK, you're coming into the United Kingdom, right? It's a physical realm, and you cross the border by boat or through the airport or whatever, and you show your passport, 
and you've come into the realm that is ruled by King Charles III. But it's, it, it's, that's quite a kind of static geographic idea with boundaries. The kingdom of God is more about the reign of the king bringing stuff in. He's less like Charles III and more like, if you like, David in the, in the Bible who was kind of gathering up a kingdom, rolling up his sleeves, building people together, doing things, changing things, getting rid of enemies. You know, it's, it's much more active and dynamic idea. Does that make sense? Um, Another uh, kind of scholar, Bruner, he's saying this question, does it suggest a future kingdom or a present kingdom? When Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, it's near, does he mean it's near and it's nearly going to happen or does he mean it's actually here and it's actually happening, right? Does he suggest a future or a present kingdom? Bruner says it means both. Don't you love it when people do that? Is it this or this? Well, it's both. I quite like that. You're right. You're also right. (laughs) Let's all be right. Um, it's on its way, it's just about to break in. In fact, it is breaking in. In some ways, as Jesus speaks, he says, here comes the kingdom. This here coming is what newscasters call breaking news. The announcement of an event taking place at the time of its telling. They're, They're reading the news and then suddenly, oh, we have breaking news. It's coming over the wires right now. Here it is. It's actually happening. You know, it's, it's saying that's what's happening when we're talking about the coming of the kingdom. It's, it's breaking in. It's, it's happening as we talk about it. As we announce the coming of the kingdom, the kingdom is coming through our announcing. Um, I, my wife's from South Africa, from Durban, Jess, and... Um, uh, the first time we went there, we went to the beach, and it's completely different from what I'm used to. You know, Mediterranean, where I'm from, it's a sleepy little sea. You don't really get any waves. It's very calm. Uh, the beach in Durban is completely different. You've got waves that have come all the way from India, building momentum for thousands of miles. You've got this huge ocean. And so when you stand on the beach and the waves hit you, they proper hit you. Like I was trying to look good for my father-in-law. I'm like, yeah, I can handle the waves. You know, it literally picks you up, spits you out on the beach and then laughs at you and you're just lying there. And, but they just come and it's like the wave is cresting. It's got all this power and momentum from coming thousands of miles across the ocean uninterrupted. And you're standing there as a tiny little human and this thing just kind of, it builds and builds and builds and you're looking up at this wave going, oh, and then it crests, and then it breaks over you, and then the next one comes, and then the next one comes. And so the, when we talk about the, the coming of the kingdom, we're talking about like a, 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 the, the cresting of a wave that's come from heaven. And it, it, it kind of grows in front of your eyes, and it breaks over you, and it pushes stuff out of your life, and it spits you upside down. And then the next one comes, and, then, and so the kingdom continues to come. The kingdom comes and it is coming, and it will continue to come. And because heaven is boundless like the ocean, the kingdom will continue to run. It will never run out of energy or resource. You can't go, well, the kingdom has fully come now, because the fullness of the kingdom of heaven has no limits, has no end. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's inexhaustible, it's relentless, the energy of the coming of the kingdom of God. Uh, David Devonish, who's 
uh, very much a spiritual father to our movement, New Frontiers, and to this church. David says this. He says, when he talks about the coming kingdom, he says, I tend now to speak much more about the coming of the kingdom, uh, now and in the future. We expect to see the kingdom coming now, but we recognize that it will come fully in the future. So again, he's trying to say, we're talking about a dynamic coming of the kingdom. It's not that it's come and it's done. It's not that nothing's happening and it will come one day. It's that it's coming wave after wave, word after word, healing after healing, justice after justice, lifting the poor out of their brokenness after lifting the poor, change after change, rolled up sleeves after rolled up sleeves. The kingdom is coming and it continues to come. And George Eldon Ladd, he said this, the kingdom is the presence of the future. Which again, I love that. You know, you get hit by a wave, you're getting hit by the whole ocean. But the kingdom is the presence of the future. It's the presence of heaven. It's the presence of what we believe things will be like one day. It's the presence of justice. It's the presence of healing. It's the presence of life. It's the presence of change. It's the presence of righteousness. It's the presence of love. And so just kind of, we've taken a few kind of ideas there just to sort of summarize those. Kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the dynamic reign of God that comes through the king. There's no kingdom without the king. It comes through the presence of Jesus. We have the dynamic reign of God. It's something that is breaking in, something that is coming through its announcing, through its demonstration, through prayer, as we're going to see this term, through the things that we as Christians do. It's, it is the presence of the future, and the kingdom is at hand in the person of Jesus. And because Jesus is with us, the kingdom is present with us. Amen? One more thing from this uh, key kind of first verse here, the word repent. He says, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're going to see what this looks like in the next few verses, but it's more than just stop doing wrong things. It's more than, like, uh, take a New Year's resolution. You know, quit that habit. Repentance here, it's much more than that. It's like, take yourself out of whatever you were living in allegiance to and put yourself in allegiance to the king. It's, it's take the things that were important in your life and count them as nothing because now you've got the king and his whole kingdom. And so repent is much more reorientate, reposition your whole self to be in the kingdom of God, following the king. And that's what we're going to see. So it, it, it's a fascinating passage because verse 17, you've got this huge announcement. Jesus begins to preach, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the next verse suddenly zooms in really local, really specific, really personal to a specific place, to specific people. And it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So there's a massive transition from verse 17, which is this like cosmic declaration, to verse 18, which is local and specific and personal. And these guys with normal jobs, they're fishermen, a little bit smelly. Um, 
quite burly, tough guys. And, and, and it's a wonderful thing because you've got this great idea, but the kingdom of God doesn't advance as a great idea. The kingdom of God advances by zooming into the local and the specific. It advances through your life. You know, someone said the kingdom, how does the kingdom of God advance? One person at a time. It doesn't change a nation, it changes people. And those people change a nation. And so you don't, the kingdom doesn't come kind of in the sky, right? The kingdom comes down to earth, fishermen on the beach, real people, real story. Peter and Andrew, they meet the king here. Um, William and Catherine, uh, who, you know, live in the palace uh, and are part of the royal family, uh, but recently they went and did um, in Windsor, sort of a meet and greet at one of the uh, soup kitchens. Uh, and so suddenly they've gone from, oh, we live in the palace and we're kind of reigning over this big idea to, no, we're meeting hungry people and we're giving them soup. And I know it's a photo op and all the rest of it, but you get the idea. It's not just big and in theory, it's down to earth and in practice, real people with real stories and real names. And that's what the king is interested in. In. And so immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and left their father and they followed him. So what's lovely is he's met these two guys and called them and they followed him. But then you've got going on from there, two other brothers. So the kingdom is always looking for the next people. It's, it doesn't just say, oh, great, I've got to, these two guys. Let's sit and I'll be the king to them. Jesus got a plan to change the whole world. And so it's, it's going on from there. It's two other brothers. It's, it's let's go to the other. Let's go to the next person. Let's go to the next family. There's, a, there's an energy of advance here. And um, he calls these two guys. And they leave their boat behind. And they leave their father behind to follow the king. And uh, in England, it's not such a big deal to leave your father behind. Uh, Safi's turned 18. She's done her A-levels. She's going to university in a couple of weeks' time. And um, that's what she should do. She's 18. She needs to, when she's gone, I'm going to sell her furniture, change the locks, <laughs> rent her room out. <laughs> like, she's gone, right? <laughs> and um, that's what you do in England. You get 18 and you get the shoe from your dad. And, um, but in the Middle East, it's not like that. So in the Middle East, when you read left their father, it's a really huge deal because your father is where you are your whole life until you bury him. And he's the head of your household. Even if you're married and you've got kids and grandkids, he's the head of your the James and John, the sons of Zebedee. That's their identity. That's who they are. And so leaving their father, it's not just a costly thing, but it's also a sign we are leaving our old identity and the thing that gave us our name, the thing that made us who we are, and we're leaving that to get a new identity because now we're following the king and we're stepping into his kingdom. And so when we talk about repentance, that's what we're talking about. Leave your old allegiances and the things that made you who you are and step into something new. If, if, if you were from a family uh, that culturally, religiously worshipped idols and in your house you had a shelf and it had the statues of the gods that you pray to and then you came to faith in Jesus we, 
kind of everyone, what they would expect is that you would tear down that shelf from your house and get rid of those idols, because now you're following Jesus. And yet in English culture, our idols are not on a shelf, but they're very real, but they're invisible. The things that people aspire to, the things that people long for, the things that people focus their lives on. They're very real, but they're invisible. But we still need people to tear down that metaphorical shelf and get rid of those idols and change their allegiances and follow Jesus. It's the same here. And so, the question really for all of us is, what do you need to leave behind? As the kingdom comes to you, as the king comes to you, these guys, they left their nets, they left their boat, and they left their father. And um, the nets, if you like, it's their activity. It's um, doing-based identity. I am what I do. You know, when you say to someone, who are you? And they go, I'm a teacher, I'm a lawyer. I didn't ask what you do, I asked, who, who are you? But your identity is hidden in what you do. And for some of you, you need to leave that doing-based identity and follow Jesus. Uh, some other guys, they left the boat. The boat is the thing that they had. You know, they probably didn't have savings in the bank, but they, their boat is their thing that they've invested in, that, that they use for work and livelihood, but it's their thing that they've, that they've built. It's the, it's the substance of their life. And so this is having-based identity. And the question is, for some of us, is that the thing that you've hidden your identity in? If I say, who are you? Actually, I can't see who you are. All I can see is what you have, because that's how you've hidden your life. And you need to leave your boat and follow him. And for some of us, you know, they left their father. And really, this is the sort of belonging-based identity. Some people, they, they define their life by the group that they belong to. You know, the most important thing about me is that I'm a Tory, right? <laughs> or the most important thing about me is I'm a Swifty, and I love Taylor Swift. I spend all my money. Um, or the most important thing about me is this or that. You know, I'm a Reading fan. Bad luck. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I asked what at the Reading University, you know, they've got societies that people proudly belong to. I'm a member of this. I found out one of the most popular societies at Reading University is called the LARPing Society. And LARP stands for Live Action Role Play. And it's people who dress up and go out and act out ancient battles and stuff like that. And it's quite big and quite popular. And there might be people here that are part of it. But apparently LARPers are so proud of being like, that's what I do, that's who I am, that's, that's where I belong, you know? And so... I think there's doing-based identity, there's having-based identity, and there's belonging-based identity. And the question is for you, what do you need to leave behind to follow Jesus into his kingdom? Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. 
And so in these verses, we've got this then widening influence. It's talking about lots of people. It's talking about a big geography. So what you've got is you've got Jesus announces a massive idea, the kingdom of God has come. Then it focuses down into the individual, into the local, into some people's hearts and their responses to him. Peter and James and John, yeah? And then it widens out again into this influence really widely. Loads of people, loads of healings, loads of towns, the fame of Jesus spreading. I think, so I think it's a little bit like an hourglass or, you know, a sand timer, an egg timer, where you've got all this sand and it needs to get down here, but it narrows to the waist so you can only get one grain of sand through at a time. And I think if we're praying your kingdom come, we're not just going to see all the sand of the kingdom dumped into the world and everything transformed. It has to go through our hearts and minds, through us, immediately local. Am I following the king? Am I tearing down my shelves of idols? Am I leaving things behind? My personal response, repent. And then it widens out, and we bring the kingdom of God to Reading and beyond. And all of Syria hears. And people from all over, they bring their sick and they're healed. And there's this white. Does that make sense? And so it goes in and then it goes out. And the kingdom goes into us as a church. And then it goes out from us to Reading. So Sundays is kingdom in, in Jesus' name. And then Mondays, when you're at work, that's kingdom out. And we bring it. We bring it where we are. Kingdom in, kingdom out. It's foundation and then multiplication. And and it it comes deep and then it goes wide. But you can't short circuit the, the, the personal bit. You know, Jesus says, my kingdom's coming. And then what does he do, essentially? He starts building his church. He starts gathering disciples and these are going to be the foundations of the church. So there's a connection between the announcement of the kingdom and then Jesus building his church as the vehicle of the kingdom. Church, not organization, but individuals who are following God together, leaving stuff behind, reorienting their allegiance, and following him. So the kingdom is going to come through the church, through us. And in these verses, there's just a load of joy, load of joy, and this is where we'll land. But it, it, it says he's announcing the good news of the kingdom, the gospel. You know, gospel just means good news, right? Don't lose that. And it's, it's something that you say with a smile. It's good news. It's good news. And so he's announcing the good news of the kingdom. Why? Because, because the hurts of the world are going to get healed. Because the mess and the pain that's in people's lives can be transformed. Because there's power available. But because it's not just announcing a new system or a new constitution or a new doctrine or a new set of ideas. It's announcing the king has come. The king has come and he's good. So it's good news. And so there's a, there's a smile in this. And then people respond. They're like, whoa, there's good news. Let's bring our sick and they can get healed. Let's bring our needs and they can get met. Let's respond. And, and so I can see like smiles popping. That's okay. It's okay to pop your smile because it's good news. And uh, what we're going to do now, right? Uh, we're just going to have a little moment. I've got a song. 
uh, that's going to get played. There's a very happy song called The King is Coming. And um, what we're going to do, just for a moment, as a response, two-part response. This is part one. We're going to stand up. We're going to hear this happy song, The King is going to come, in the background, The King is Coming. And we're just going to start turning to people and telling them that. Because this, these verses are about proclamation, yeah. announcing the kingdom, proclaiming the kingdom. It's one of the things. There's a lot of other things we do as we're going to see this term. But it starts with, tell your brother, tell your sister, the king is, going, the king is coming. He's coming now, he's coming forwards, and he's coming in the future. Okay? And so let's stand up, please. And we're going to go a little bit, what the South Africans would call chamosh. A little bit chaotic, a little bit messy. And um, just start moving around and announcing to people, the king is coming. And you might want to take it a little bit further than that and look them in the eye and say, that means love for you. That means peace for you. That means life for you. So let's just move around.